Welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. This episode is sponsored by Team Rankstar and Inked Gaming. Visit TeamRankstar.com for all the latest Tesla news, and visit Inked Gaming and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next order of customized gaming gear. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community around Elder Scrolls Legends. I am your host, Mark Lutz, from right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And with me today, I have a fantastic special guest, a streamer um, that I have more recently begun tuning into, but somebody who I certainly love tuning into. I love the Super Saiyan mentality that's on his stream with me tonight for episode nine. I have Elameo. Elameo, how are you doing, man? I am fantastic. Um, so it's a wonderful Wednesday. Yes, yes. So we're recording this uh, Wednesday evening, and this episode is uh, is going to be releasing um, this this upcoming Friday. Um, but uh, but tell us, you know, man, what's been going on with you? What's been going on with you in, in Elder Scrolls Legends uh, this past week? What have you been playing? What are you experimenting with? Yeah. So, uh, admittedly, I've been kind of um, these last two weeks have been a little rough uh, stream wise. So I've been kind of out of it. But still, um, you know, because I, I was a little burnt out of the whole Master series. Um, I put in, I mean, it was like two months of, of, of enormous amount of effort on my part. Um, sure. So uh, you competed in the Master series. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So I competed in the Master series. Um, I did all four qualifier weeks. Um, ended up being in the uh, top uh, 16 uh, like I was in the the last chance qualifier group. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I, I competed in that. Uh, ended up being the second backup for QuakeCon. So there was eight, and then there was Flo, and then there was me. So I was the, like kind of tenth place. Okay. Um, okay. F- uh, Seddon ended up dropping out. Flo filled in for that spot, and I was next up, but never didn't actually happen. Um, okay. Which is good. I mean, all those other players ahead of me deserved it more than I did. So. Um, but I was yeah, close. But there's there's something to be said about all of the people who who tried out, who brought decks, uh, who built decks, who went through all of that hard work. And I mean, you may have not been on the Masters Dream and over in Dallas, but um, I mean, you were right up there competing with the absolute best players currently in the world for Elder Scrolls Legends. Yeah. Uh, the whole way through this Master series. Yeah, yeah, and it was. I mean, it really took a lot out of me. I put in like 100%, 110% effort um, in preparing and for building my decks, figuring out the meta, trying to psychoanalyze my opponents and trying to figure out what I need to make to counter what they're going to bring and, and things like that. Um, so so these last two weeks, I've been a little out of the meta, but um, I'm pretty familiar with generally what's happening based on streams that I've watched and, and other people playing. Um I kind of I kind of I go off the wall with my experiments. Um, <laughs> you know, I I'm, I'm a deck builder at heart and I like to um, tr- 
try weird things. You know, uh, I'll play meta decks when I'm trying to be competitive, but for the most part, I'm always seeking the next best thing. And, mm. you know, I, I've been experimenting with Dragon Empire and, you know, that's like built around bouncing Call Grontide and Parthenax and things like that. <laughs> um, okay. Been playing a little bit of mid range Assassin. Um, which is kind of doing what the Battle Mace deck does, but I think, in my opinion, a little bit better. Yeah, Eugenovation uh, trashed me with a mid-range Assassin deck the other day on ladder. I mean, it was it was like it yeah. wasn't even close. Uh, it was really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I also tried items recently because, mm. I man, I've tried I tried to make item decks work. Yeah, I feel so like everybody wants it to work, right? <laughs> like we yeah. all want it to work because there's there there is just something that feels so good about them, and there's so many cool synergies in this game with yeah. items, and there's so much silence as well. That's like that's that's the thing that really gets you. Like there's so much silence. I yeah. mean, one of the coolest cards in this game is the one that you play it right, and it equips all of your items to one creature. It's like yeah. it's so cool, and the the you know like the graphics for it and everything is just like so they're off the hook. I really really enjoy it. But you're like, would I do I really want to take all of my items spread across all my creatures and attach them to one target that can be that much more easily sorcerer negationed? Right. Uh, I don't I don't think I ever want to do that. Yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah. And it's um yeah like yeah like you said there's just a ton of synergies out there and I've and I, I keep going back to it and there's like so many different directions you can take it. Mm-hmm. Um and I always just I, I keep trying and it never really works. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll tell you what, this wasn't really on our, our list of things to talk about, but I am really curious because I think that I think a lot of people are curious about what it takes to be a competitive player. I think mm-hmm. some people get into this and there's a lot of rewarding elements to le- to legends because you can hit legend um, and you don't have to have an endless grind to be able to hit legend. That's one of the things that kept me in this game was the fact that I could hit legend just from creative deck building and smart playing. And it wasn't all determined by grinding and, and RNG. Um mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I'm even a little curious, like, what does it take to be a tournament player? So what did your routine look like? Like, behind the scenes, what was Elameo doing to prepare for a Masters Series, you know, tournament week? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's two different approaches, depending on where I was in the the tournament. Um, During the qualifiers, my approach was just to pick, um, because it was uh, last, last man standing, is that what it's called? They changed their sure. format this year compared to last year. Okay. Um, I think last I think year this was year's called, Yeah, I think this year is last man standing, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so in that format, um, it's best to bring kind of a best decks approach, like the four best decks in the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the approach I took. I, I played a lot of different stuff, and I picked the four best that I think um, were, were both the strongest, but also... Um, had enough diversity to where I wouldn't get overrun by another really strong deck that maybe just countered me really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, diverse in that it um, handled all that. I also targeted control decks very heavily in my lineup um, because I felt like, I mean, especially last year, I saw that like everyone, you know, please don't hack me one last year, and he ran four control decks. <laughs> Mm, okay. So it was just, and then everyone copied him, and they were like, "Control that, control that, control that." So I kind of anticipated a lot of people would bring control, and for the most part, it, it worked out fairly well. I, I dodged a lot of aggro decks and ended up hitting 
countering those controlled acts. Well, and uh, good, some of your playtime in Masters series would have been, of course, pre-Moons of Elsewhere, correct? Yes. And so we were talking kind of in that Ebon Heart Empire, mm-hmm. um, and what was along, because that was when Tribunal and Telvanni had dropped off. Yeah, and, and then yeah, and, Burn Assassin. And... Mm-hmm. So you had seen a lot of those decks, which had become really, really popular um, and Ebonheart especially. So you, if you could find a really good counter for Ebonheart, um, you know, perhaps you could get in your game, all your games in underneath of that Ebonheart deck and not allow them to win. Yep. Yeah. And that's, yeah, exactly. Actually, Ebonheart was part of my lineup because it's, it's got such a good late game that it dominates every other control deck. So mm-hmm. that was kind of another uh, tool I used to, to just shut people down. And it probably is my most or my best deck throughout the entire tournament. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Now, like, just out of curiosity, I mean, if, if you're willing to share, like, how many, like, in a week when you knew you had a tournament, like, how many hours did you put into playing and playtesting? Um, so the first, up to, coming up to the first qualifier, I spent two weeks preparing for it. Um, like, both kind of on stream, uh, just playing stuff, not really telling people what I'm going to bring. But it didn't really matter at that point, because it's not like someone could try to counter you. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, yeah, that's, you know, a lot on stream and then a little bit off stream. I had some of my viewers like Bujin coming in and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, helping me. And I bounced a lot of ideas off of him. Um, we also had a couple other people in uh, in a Discord um, all kind of bouncing ideas off each other, including including Bradford Lee and Matty Borsch and things like that. Um, so we were all just kind of brainstorming and um Ultimately, I came up, you know, with my lineup, and it worked out fairly well compared to yeah. everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of hours, two weeks of time put into mm-hmm. to getting ready, which is a lot of it, it. It's a lot of legends. It's a lot of losing on the first rune um, yeah. because of a prophecy. Um, that can be really frustrating to keep coming back to over and over again. Now, do you have like um, like a, a team or a play group or um, a group of people that you that you train with, um, practicing with, or is it like you just do a lot of ladder grinding for preparation? For the most part, it's um, just people from my stream, um, good okay. players that have uh, participated in my my community tournaments um, that do really well. You know, I, I would uh, ask them if they'd be interested in practicing with me. I knew they were also participating in the tournaments. Uh, Bujin was a big practice. Uh, you know, he helped me out a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Shinara, you know, a lot of other people. Sure, I mean, these are names and, yeah. that if you're in the community at all, you see them in almost every stream, right? there. Yeah. They're there. Bujin mm-hmm. is there. Shinara is there. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're there. So you're, you, you do kind of have a practice group that you were, that you're working with to get ready for the tournaments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's very mm-hmm. interesting. So let's, how about, let's our, our community get to know you a little bit better and tell us just a little bit about yourself. You know, what drew you into card games? What's brought you in to Tessel specifically and, and not just mm-hmm. Tessel, but you're streaming Tessel. So you're a face in the community. Um, and you know, if you, if you haven't, listened or gone to see LMA's stream, I encourage you to do this afterwards because he has a pretty striking appearance with the giant beard and the mustache and the shaved sides of the head, right? Like the, you, a very well-groomed appearance. So like people 
will remember that really well. I think, I think people will connect with that and then people will remember it really well. So yeah. why, why, uh, why Tesla, why card games? Tell us a little about your story and your background. Okay. So yeah, how I got into card games, my history there is I, like many people played Pokemon as a kid, sure. um, collected the card games or collected the cards rather never played the game. I mm-hmm. still have never played a game of, of like Pokemon, um, but I collected a ton of the cards. I played a game of Pokemon for the first time. At, I, I started collecting when I was in sixth grade, and I tried to play it and never played it. I learned the rules when someone gave me an old box of Pokemon cards, and at 31, mm-hmm. sat down with my brother, and we played a fir- the first game I've ever played, like, of le- legitimately by the rules Pokemon at 31. I mean, it took me wow. that long. It took me, what, like 18 years or more <laughs> to actually sit down and play a, a, ga- a game by the rules. I, I completely yeah. get that. Yeah, yeah. Um so I collected Pokemon cards, and then uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! came out, the show, and that got me really into the game. Sure. Um, so I started collecting those cards, and that was kind of my first card game experience, is is playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, mostly just with friends, and then eventually went to like some local tournaments or whatever. Um, and then, uh, then after that, I got into Magic. I was into Magic for... Yeah, since I was like 15 till like 21, 22-ish, um, or maybe even up to 23. Gosh, I don't even know. But sure. played a lot of Magic. Um, played Magic until Hearthstone came out. Okay. Played a lot of Hearthstone. Played Hearthstone since the closed beta up until like three and a half years in, and then. Um, and at that point, I was I was kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to start streaming, um, you know, uh, and I was kind of getting tired of Hearthstone. I was looking for a card game that made a lot of sense from a streaming perspective, you know, a community that's a little bit smaller, easier to get involved in. Um, and so I just saw Legends and decided, hey, why not? I love Skyrim. Okay, um, sure. You know, the whole Elder Scrolls series, I played all of them. So... Um, I gave it a shot and been doing it for two years, two, yeah, two, almost two years. Yeah, yeah. Almost two years now. So let me just ask you this. I think that a lot of people have watched streamers and many people have thought like, can I, can I do that? Right? Like, yeah. can I do that? And you know, you, you'd see some streamers, you're watching big streamers and these elaborate setups with mm-hmm. all of this technology and it can be very intimidating for people who maybe want to take their first step into it. So what, what drew you to go from I'm playing Hearthstone and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of who is popular. I'm watching Raynad and, um, or I don't even know, I some of the early streamers. I, I, I watched Hearthstone early on. I can't remember yeah. many of them anymore. Um, you know, Disguised Toast back then was still wearing a mask on his face. So mm-hmm. um, so what what made you look and think, you know what, this is something I'd like to get involved with. Like streaming is something attractive to me. This is something I want to do. Yeah, so um, I was re- I've been watching um, – uh, what I, what really inspired me to go to consider streaming in the first place is um, I watched two big streamers kind of from the start when they were small. Um, one of them is Summit, 1G, and the other is Raynad, actually. Um, okay. I watched both of them since when they were like 100 viewer streamers. Um, and I just kind of watched them and seen them have lots of success. Um, and, and at the same, you know, I'm very entrepreneurial. Um 
you know, I, I, I was kind of considering all the types of businesses I could start, um, what works best with my current career, um, how can I do something that is um, more than just sitting around watching TV, uh, but but doesn't interfere with everything else. And, and streaming kind of just made the most sense. I didn't need a lot of money to start. It was just uh, a computer, which I was going to buy anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, a $50 webcam. Um, back back before I even had I had this, I had uh, uh, just a just a headset with a you know crappy microphone. Um, I, I started with bare bones stuff and just kind of worked my way up uh, over time. So okay. that's kind of what I guess inspired me to kind of get involved in streaming in the first place. Yeah, so I mean, you pick up a webcam. If you already have a computer, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sitting here talking to LMAO. You know, I know that he's on a a Yeti microphone. I know that he's got the green screen behind him. Um, I've watched enough of his streams to know that you know he's got all these tech that turn him into a Super Saiyan or whatever else that he's got on his stream now. But when yeah. you started off, it was like computer, Logitech webcam, <laughs> and a, and a Turtle Beach headset, and you were yep. like. Exactly. You were just starting out. You were like, I'm gonna go and plug this thing from my Xbox, through, and I'm gonna plug it in over here and start streaming with it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Bare and bones. Then, and that's that's how I encourage most people to do it. Don't invest a ton of money into it. Yeah. Um, I know. You're you part- don't know if you're gonna be successful. You're partner with Twitch now, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah. Partner. Okay. And now you've been streaming for about two years. When did partner come? When did you become a partner with Twitch? took me about a year okay. I want to say yeah I got partnered end of October like uh actually no it was like mid-October last year so it was right before TwitchCon and I was really kind of nervous that I wouldn't get it before TwitchCon because I went um so yeah it was about and I started streaming the November prior so yeah about a about and basically a year Basically, exactly a year it took me to get a partner. Yeah. And have you enjoyed it? Have you enjoyed streaming? Is it something that is life giving to you? Something that you like doing? Yeah, I I love it. I mean, it's it's um, it's like sitting around. It, it reminds me of kind of like LAN parties. Sure. Uh, yeah. Or, or or I guess rather like if you ever you know you when you were a kid you go back you go to your friend's house and you hang out with your friend and you all you play video games and you have maybe people watching you you're kind of just having a good time. That's kind of that's kind of the sense I get out of it is, mm. um, you know, you're just chilling, hanging out with however many people in your stream. You're all having a good time. You're talking, you're watching video games, you're learning. Um, you know, it's just uh, it's just a fun environment. And I, I enjoy it. Yeah, that's great. So you were an Elder Scrolls player prior to uh, getting involved with Legends. And that's kind of like a, a cool combination of two worlds that you really enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I had never I never even knew that Bethesda made a, a card game until I, I looked into it. Um mm-hmm. you know, it just it never came up ever. Um and I was surprised and I decided to give it a shot and um it's a it's a very well designed game that doesn't get it as much love as it deserves. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean in comparison to other card games that I've played it's it's very well designed. Now, are you an ESO player as well? Do you play Elder Scrolls Online um, or Skyrim? Like you didn't make that adventure because I'm the person I didn't make that adventure. I started I with did, Skyrim. I didn't go to ESO. Yeah, I did not go to ESO. Um, 
I I played the first. I played when it first came out. It was like beta. I played it for like a month or two, um, but it just didn't have the same feel as mm. as Oblivion and Morrowind. Um, I don't even know if Skyrim was out. I think it was by that point. Yeah, it probably was, but it just didn't have the same feel, right? It wasn't the classic Elder Scrolls universe that you're used to. It felt more like WoW, but with a uh, Elder Scrolls skin. skin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like I'm doing the same things that I would be doing if I was playing World of Warcraft and I left that game for a good reason. Yeah, um, that was that was my feeling about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so completely un Elder Scrolls relate or Elder Scrolls Legends related, but Elder Scrolls related. Um, I mean, we have not gotten much about Elder Scrolls Six yet. And not. Yeah. Man, I I want something. Where do you where do you hope it is? Do you have a place a place you want to go <sighs> adventure in? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of theories because everyone's, of course, analyzing the spoiler sure. video and stuff. Yeah, that's like 45 seconds long, right? <laughs> it intentionally shows you almost nothing. And then they're like, we gave you a clue. And everyone, yeah. and, and so that it drives everyone nuts for the two years until they give us something real. Uh-huh. Right, of course. Yeah, so um, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, they have, I mean, they've barely even scratched the, the whole universe. You know, they've it's done massive. a game. Yeah, they've done a game in like three regions uh, outside of ESO, not excluding ESO. Um, mm. so, but theoretically, they could, or like four regions total, and they have like something like 12. Or, or there's even more than that. There's like the whole uh, Tamriel Empire, and then there's other continents and stuff too that you can yes, use. that they can adventure so out of. Like, there's so many places. Um, I would like to see the High Elf homeland i forget what it's called off the top of my head is it somerset yeah i think that's what that's close enough that's really i can't remember yeah but i do know what you mean the high elf homeland yeah yeah oh that would be cool that would be cool so you're kind of like an like a dominion like a old mary dominion yeah i love the love love the high elves and and dark elves just two probably my favorite i always pick one of those two classes whenever i play the game so yeah, see, I'm, I'm, partial. I've I've been a Nord player. I've been a Nord uh, player. So, uh, you know, I have to just, just I have to hate the elves, of course. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, well let's let's move on. I mean, that's enough about uh, Elder Elder Scrolls, uh, the future of Elder Scrolls. Although I do think it will have an impact on Elder Scrolls Legends. Just to be honest, uh, they seem to take Elder Scrolls Legends and sort of use it to bring players over to ESO and ESO players over to Legends. I, I think yeah. whatever we have coming next in the Elder Scrolls universe, we're gonna see a Legends expansion that comes along with it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Almost for sure. Um, but uh, let's talk about the meta. Let's talk about the meta and let's talk. And now I know you haven't been like, quote unquote, in the meta, but a player of your caliber certainly has some sort of has probably a better idea than the average individual about what the meta is looking like right now. So what are you like looking at the across the board at the decks that were brought to masters? What's being played on ladder right now? What are you what would you just rank the top, the top couple of decks? Um, It's, it's tough, um, you know, because I feel like. The meta is still happening. You know, Moons of Elsewhere only came out um, a few weeks ago, I feel like. Um, sure, there's still some discovery and so, some innovation happening. Yeah, in right yeah. Um, the meta is is Alphabet Conjurer. Yeah, <laughs> in many ways, it's, just, it's true. It's just such a powerful card. It's, it's, in my opinion, probably the most powerful card that came out of the uh, Moons of Elsewhere. I don't um, think that's just your opinion. 
I think well, that's the strong opinion of the entire yeah. community. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the opinion of Bethesda, just to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I even mean, when I interviewed CVH, he was like, Alfie Contra is really strong, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, outside of that, there's been a few surprises. Um, I expected Consume to be good. Um, and I, you know, I don't see as much consumed X, but I feel like it's really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, c- particularly consumed sorcerer is very powerful. So, you know, I guess if we're to answer your question, it's probably like, uh, mid BM is the most common, but I think mid assassins maybe a little bit better. Okay. Okay. Um, as number one, that's Alfie conjurer. And then, um, consumed sorcerer feels really strong to me as well. Um, it has a really strong high rolly element to it that i i feel like if you roll high you just dominate a game if you are average you you still do okay Mm. um so you just get like a bunch of free wins out of it periodically um i think it increases the win rate significantly um i mean control because there's so much mid-range because of alfie conjurer control is kind of in a uh in a downturn i feel um, because those decks are just going to dominate control all, every day of the week. Um, now, I have seen a, a resurgence, a return of Tribunal in the absence of Ebonheart. Mm-hmm. Like, if there is a popular control deck out there, the one that I have seen the most is definitely Tribunal. Yeah. I mean, it's all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that it is it is a good counter to a lot of decks that are out there right now. It's also very expensive. Um, If you're a free to play player or if you're newer to the game, that tribunal deck is really expensive to craft the cards for. Yeah. Um, A lot of high end legendaries in that deck, a lot of three of expensive cards, um, a lot of three of epics. It it is not a cheap like if you're looking to play control tribunals definitely one of those decks it's an expensive one to try to get into for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a, a difficult deck. Um, and in particular, I guess the in in you know my I feel like mid range is in such a good position right now. Um, because the tribunal even used to be control. Now I feel it's it's more of a defensive mid range tribunal where um, it's playing things like Wilds Incarnate and a lot of mid-rangey cards, big guards that to try mm-hmm. to, to try to um, I guess to try to lower its its curve to, to contest these these um, mid-range decks and, and really dominate aggro decks as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll notice that Tribunal right now is not, you know, it used to always be that Tribunal waited until they could one-shot you. Yeah. Um, but you'll notice now that there's a lot of Tribunal decks that are running a lot more two and three drops than they used mm-hmm. to. And they're not afraid to go face towards the beginning of the game. If they feel like, you know what, I have the mid-range control that I need to keep my damage on my board alive and you're not going to be able to stop it. Mm-hmm. And I can just keep consistently pushing this damage over the course of the game. Um, in a very frustrating way, I've beaten my, be beaten my tribunal several times now where they were the aggressor. Yeah. And I was like, what happened? And, and you know, <laughs> and you're going partway through and you're like, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to see bleak coast troll, like bleak coast troll has got to be coming out here soon. Yeah. And, and they're still running all of the staple control cards. They're just not running as much of like the greedy top end as they used to. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and they're running, yeah, they're running a little bit of that mid range on the 
but on the heavy side rather than on the aggressive side, like you're yeah. seeing sort of like mid-range BM and mid-range um, uh, 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 Dagoth are both mm-hmm. mid-range decks, but they're on the aggressive side of mid-range. Right. For sure. Where do you see Dagoth as being right now? Because um, I've seen a lot of Dagoth on the ladder too. A lot of people experimenting with yeah. that. A lot of I mean, switch strike. Yeah, lots of switch strike. I mean, um, historically, Dagoth has felt more of a like a defensive mid-range deck, where it's more um, if it runs into an aggro deck, it's trying to control. Um, but uh, lately, I feel like Dagoth is mostly going to be like more, yeah, more aggressive mid-range, um, trying to get uh, early Mournhold Trader and just ride that to victory. Mm-hmm. Um, where you just slam a really big threat every turn and, and ultimately win from that. Um, so at least the, the few that I've seen, and, and if I were to go build one, that's exactly probably what I would do with Dagoth. Um, just because if you're going defensive mid-range, you're going to go Tribunal, like we've been talking mm-hmm. about, because it's just way better at that than anything else. Um, but Dagoth and like Daggerfall Covenant, both of those are, are something that you kind of want to go on more aggressive route, probably. Yeah. Now tell me a little bit more about this consumes or what are some of the staple cards in that? Because that's a card that's a deck that I want to play. Like mm-hmm. I really want I really want consume to be good. I just haven't yeah. seen a lot of evidence of it being good yet. Um, and that's one deck that we I mean, consume is a mechanic that we barely saw in the master series. Yeah. People didn't and maybe there just wasn't enough time to experiment with it and risk taking it to a fifty thousand dollar prize pool tournament mm-hmm. um but uh but what are some of the staple cards in this consume sorcerer deck you've been playing around with yeah i mean it has all the um the the stable consume cards from both uh you know purple and blue um i you know i'm still learning the names to be honest i can't think of them off the top of my head that's okay. You can describe them. <laughs> but, most most but, listeners who are new to the game know what you're doing. Would say when you describe them better than the name anyway. They hear the yeah. name and they're having to also look at their collection to find. Right. Yeah. So um, the biggest one, um, you you have like the the two or the one drop two two guy that if you consume something, um, he gets buffed. Yeah. He's like um, a midnight something or other. Yeah. 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 Midnight lookout you know. or something like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah just, I know what you're talking about. Just insanely powerful, even if you don't consume. It's something you want to drop on turn one um, and, and and kind of take control of the board because it's really important for these um, aggressive mid-range decks to um, to take the board early because they have difficulty taking back the board. If you get behind, it's so difficult to catch back up with the decks. So you need an early one drop that's just going to take the board. Um, and a one cost 2-2 two, two is really solid for that role. And then later in the game, it's much bigger than that. So um, now some people will come across that card and they'll never throw out. They'll skip turn one over playing a one mana two two because they know this could be a one mana three three. Yeah. But you're saying drop that one mana two two on the board. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a trap. A lot of people fall into, um, mm-hmm. especially with any card that's like has a better upside later in the game. You're thinking, oh, I should probably save this because it could be better later. Um and that's a good mindset to have when you're thinking of like when you're when you're in the like control role, but um, it's not a good mindset to have when you're trying to be aggressive and you need to take control of the board early on as quickly as possible and kind of overwhelm your opponent so they can't answer stuff fast enough. Um, yeah, in this role, I think definitely one cost two two play it out and then it's just got an upside later in the game for sure. 
Yeah. Now, what about the uh, uh, what about the Reaper? The two mana two three or two mana three two that consumes a creature. Every time a creature is removed from your graveyard, you gain a health and get plus one health in that creature. So it summons in as a uh, if there's something in your graveyard as a two mana three three and gains you a health. Do you see that card being a card that's valuable? Because I crafted three of them, so yeah, <laughs> I, I also crafted three of them because they're legendary. But and they're so um, cool looking too. To me, it's it's a it's a staple for the deck as well. Um, okay. Because there's so many times where I'll play that, and it ends up being a two mana three three, which on its own is just fine. Good like enough, a two mana yeah. three three is fantastic. Sure. Um, but it has a it's a two mana three three with an upside. Um. That, that could get bigger and more difficult to answer, mm-hmm. um, especially when you combine with a lot of the other consumed cards in the same turn. Uh, once you're, you know, around turn six and, or, you know, turn six to eight, you're starting to combine some of these consumed cards together. And it's just um, it's a powerhouse that ends up being a two mana three five or two mana three eight. I've frequently had games where it got up to 11 health. Um now, I imagine Elfie Conjurer finds its way into this deck, too, right? Of course. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. is this one of those decks where we're not even playing any other at- at- Atronauts? There's none other in the deck? It's just Elfie that's summoning them, and you just know on the second one that you're probably summoning a Storm Elemental? I am playing one, um, what is it called, Tribunal Conjurer? Yeah, Temple Conjurer. Temple is Conjurer is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I'm playing one of those, but otherwise, yeah, no Atronachs. Um, okay. I'm just playing one of those for like a as a five drop. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna play Atronach, and then later in the game, I can obviously get the Alphix going. Sure, and um, if you get lucky, they clear it on turn five, and you Alphix on turn six to summon a Storm Elemental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay. it's it's kind of meant for the curve where you go five into six, um, but only one, right? Because I don't want a lot of them. But yeah. otherwise, yeah, just health peaks are kind of on their own a lot of the time. Now, in, in it's just curious because sometimes I get caught in this trap, and I think a lot of new players get caught in this trap as well, where they see this new mechanic and they're like, you know what? I'm going to click the search button. I'm just going to search consume in all of them. They're yeah. all going in my damn deck. I'm putting them all in there, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people fall into a trap there so, for example, a card like the Rune Shambler, which is mm-hmm. like the undead mummy Khajiit that uh, kicks three cards off the top of your deck and consumes any creatures and gets a plus one, plus one for each creature that's been consumed this round. So you could potentially consume something before it and then or or maybe it's every card that's been put in your graveyard it consumes. I can't really remember. But anyway, you have there's some there's a chance there where you could just put like a crazy, crazy stacked one on there. But you're really going all in on the consume strategy playing rune right. shambler so mm-hmm. are you playing rune shamblers or are you playing like nope I'm, I'm picking and choosing the good consumed cards that i want i'm not playing all of them i am playing rune shambler okay uh, yeah i'm not playing all of the consume in, in uh sorcerer but rune shamblers is is one that i um am definitely playing on average with my experience with it worst case scenario it's a four mana four four Best case scenario, it's like a four mana six six, and you summon a three two with it. It's mm. um, it's like insane, right? It's it's that's kind of what I was describing. It's very high rolly in some uh, situations, but even when it's a four mana four four, 
I'm not sad about it. Like it's it's a little bit lower than what you want, right? It's not a weight coach troll, but it's um, it's still a four 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 four. It's not like the worst thing ever. You know, you're not losing too much tempo. Now, are you are you running the Breton that you can consume the four mana or the five mana four fourth ward that consumes to give a plus one plus one in ward? I'm running one of those. One of those um, in your deck. Yeah, um, because it is useful in a lot of scenarios. It is lower tempo because you know my deck's geared towards being aggressive. Mm-hmm. Playing a five mana four four is not the greatest thing that you're looking for, but. Um, but it is useful when you're just trying to make your opponent struggle a little bit, right? Um, to counter a lot of AOE, maybe like Ice Storm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, you play a 4 4 ward, and then later on in the game, it dies and you consume something and give it ward. You know, Alfie Conjurer, a 3 4 ward with guard can be, it just it makes things difficult for your opponent to answer. And when you consume that, he's actually a, a four five ward oh, with guard. Exactly. Because you get yeah. a plus one plus one as well. Now, uh, okay, last question about that deck. Uh, I would imagine Discerning Thief gets put in that deck, right? So that you can ditch some of the consume cards from your own hand. Because mm-hmm. I think that's some of the cards that people are missing when they're experimenting with consume right off the bat is there's a lot of value in being able to choose which cards from your hand you want to discard. And Discerning Thief is a freaking powerhouse in that Sorcerer mm-hmm. Consume deck. I mean, that yeah. it's just like, oh, OK, I, uh, what I can do now is I can I can draw a card for free. Mm-hmm. And do, it's a three, four for three that lets me draw a card whenever I pilfer. But it also allows me to freely throw my crocodile in the graveyard, which yep. I didn't want to play for two anyway, because it's a low tempo play. And then you have to remove it for me to consume it. So now I'm, I'm actually I'm actually putting it in the place where I want it to be without having to depend on you to do it for me, without having to lose tempo. Now I can just go consume it and draw a card. I mean, just exactly. such a powerful move for that deck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm running two of them just because, yeah, it's a three mana three four which is good on its own mm-hmm. um with an upside where i can discard yeah things like my crocodiles or um any other card that i any other imbued card that i just want to ditch in and get in the graveyard um so, so lastly for those of us out there building on a budget how many of the uh the scholars made it into your deck and of course that's the i guess a three mana three two that once it's consumed summons a three two right and that's a legendary which you can mm-hmm. keep three of in your deck um so that's an expensive craft for some people are you running is that like a must-have three of for your deck unfortunately yes it is a must-have three of okay. uh for me i'm running three copies um so so you know. you're looking at nine legendaries just from Moons of Elsewhere in that deck. Three Elfiques, yep. three of the Demothry Reapers, and three of the Scholars. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's not a cheap oh. deck to mess around with. It, it is not a cheap deck. Um, I, I, you know, uh, I, I've had the benefit of playing for two years, and in over two years I've built up quite a huge uh, pile of gems. Um, I haven't spent money on this game in, like, over a year. So it's just playing a lot and and building, you know, I just craft everything I need, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because of drops, I also haven't had to spend a dime on this game in, yeah. in, <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a long, I think I bought, I think I bought like the Dark Brotherhood story and I've bought like the intro packs each time a new set comes out because the, the deal yeah. is insane on them. And, uh, mm-hmm. but other than that, like, I don't have to, you know. The drops, the early, being early in the game and having drops was pretty beneficial. I do feel bad for some of the people who weren't able to be be there for some of those because, yeah. you know, 
uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, Bethesda's got to do something about that at some point because they're going to have a really hard time making money off of all the players who've been playing since uh, the previous game developer had the hold, had a hold of the game. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, because there's there was some damage done there, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean I don't even know how you go about draining the coffers out of players who were here early without frustrating and losing your entire player base of newer players. I mean I don't. No, I, it's it's um, I think you just gotta call it a, a wash and, and try to focus on your new, you know, uh, start players. Over. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. because there's yeah there's some players out there with obscene amounts. Like I I still have like 115 arena tickets or something. Like I never touched them. Yes. Um, just sit them down. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even a streamer. I, I don't play as much uh, as other folks, and I've taken lots of breaks. But even at that, I have 20,000 gems and you know over 5k gold sitting on my account, and and that's with spending the vast majority of it just when, I mean, I spent every gold that I had when moons came out um, and, and I've already built up 5k just playing the game. Cause I think this yeah. game is very, anyone who claims that this game isn't generous is wrong. Yeah, for sure. Compared <laughs> to other games, this is like the most generous game I've ever played ever. Sure. And I mean, you came from a, a place of, of magic gathering, so you know how expensive it is to stay in a game like that. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I used to spend probably like a thousand dollars every couple months playing Magic, and it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, broke mm-hmm. the bank. <laughs> yes, yeah. My brother, uh, my brother got really into modern, and this is a side subject as well. But my my brother got really into playing modern, and that's what got me out of Magic: The Gathering. <laughs> Um, because he had built every, he eventually built like every competitive modern deck. And when the when the economy of Magic: The Gathering started to fluctuate, when they started reprinting some old cards, um, he began selling off his collection. And and it wasn't like it wasn't like ah oh, man, I I sold some of my collection and I made a couple hundred bucks. It was like I sold my modern deck and I made three thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly, crazy. And I was like. He has like one left, and it's like a fully holographic, decked out modern deck. And and I don't like I don't even, I don't even talk to him about how much it's worth because it's just like I don't want to embarrass him for how much money he's spent over the years. <laughs> yeah. Too much, too much. Um, okay, well let's let's move on. So the meta is clearly a lot of well maybe not. Let's talk a little bit about mid range BM a little bit because I think that is the deck that most people's gonna are gonna see. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice for people? Because I I mean I've been playing it and I'm I've not been real successful with it. Mm-hmm. Um. So if I'm we're looking at mid-range BM, what's the tricks and then uh, to win with it? And then also, if I'm playing against it, what strategy or what line is best for me to take against it? Yeah. Okay. So um, so there's two kind of mid-range BMs I've seen recently. And the, the main one I see, at least in my experience, is kind of a, a defensive mid-BM where it's the, kind of the classical version where you're playing... Um, you're, you're kind of uh, tempoing your opponent. You're, you're waiting for the right moment. You're holding a lot of cards in hand. Or, or maybe in some matchups, you're the aggressor. Um, you kind of have to know what your role is, depending on what you're facing. Um, but it's kind of like a defensive mid-BM that kind of tries to control and then play some high-value things, like Alfie Conjurer. And you're seeing cards like Breton Conjurer format a one-moment ward. When a ward breaks, it summons a 5-5. Exactly. Cross-astronaut. Yeah, yeah. 
combine that with a pyromancer. Um, that deck is is designed to be aggro, but also be flexible enough to be aggressive enough to beat control. Um, I've seen a few aggressive mid BMs. I'm not really going to talk about those. Those are kind of probably a different category. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 mid BMs that you know this is kind of the classical uh, deck. If I mean, if you want to beat it, uh, the route to go is definitely more of a of a uh, probably a control deck. To be okay. honest, okay. control because uh, yeah, it's it's designed to kind of beat aggro um, in a lot of senses. A lot of the cards are geared towards beating aggro and being careful and, and playing very methodical about what you're doing. Um, those are going to be its weaknesses. It's going to have a good matchup against that, but maybe a bad matchup against control because it's trying to be controlling, but it doesn't have the late game to beat control. So control mm-hmm. is really going to have a good time against it. Um, well, one of the things it does have is this burst potential. Then, mm-hmm. I mean, this deck can come out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. You can be going from, I'm the aggressor, I'm beating him down, or I'm controlling him. And, and if they get one threat to stick, man, mm-hmm. they you can go from 30 to nothing in a turn or two if they can just get a single threat to stick. It, it's a dangerous deck to be playing against, even when you're playing control, because, man, you have to be careful. The, the amount of burst that the deck has is insane, and it does. It just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's that's kind of how, how historically where mid-BM's been at. It's always been a unique deck, I feel, um, compared to other decks that are trying to do the same strategy. It's always been unique in the sense where it, um, it's kind of trying to stop your aggression, and then suddenly it's like, okay, I'm, I'm putting out a ton of big threats, and you're dead in two turns. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of... Um, if you're playing the deck, you have to kind of get a sense to where you're going to pivot from trying to defend to I'm going to kill you. Um, that's probably the most difficult part of playing the deck is it's just um, is, is understanding at what moment you're now the per- you're, you're now supposed to be trying to kill your opponent as opposed to keeping yourself alive. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the, the point that I've really struggled with with this deck. Mm-hmm. when when am i shifting either to know like i'm not supposed to be the aggressor in the beginning yeah. even if i've taken board i shouldn't be aggressing i shouldn't be breaking runes that's been hard for me mm-hmm. and then also knowing okay when am i in a secure enough position that i can now pivot and if they do get a prophecy javelin mm-hmm. i can still come back that's yeah. been very difficult for me to know like when is that when is that pivot point because i know it's there and and occasionally you get it right yeah occasionally you get like battle mace and something else on onto your uh onto your belligerent giant mm-hmm. and it's like oh yeah this is I, this is the turn i was supposed to turn on you i right. figured it out and sometimes you try and it's like wow <laughs> i really shouldn't have attacked him yet yeah um that's been a really hard thing for me to figure out as a player yeah, no, it's definitely, um, yeah, definitely the hardest thing to figure out with the deck. Um, you know, I played actually a fair amount of it. Um, not a whole lot of the newer version of it, but just through history, I've played a ton of this deck. And um, it, 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 it's probably one of the, the higher skilled decks in the game, in my opinion, um, because there's just so much to consider at every single point and, and deciding when you're 
going to go from, if you're facing an aggro deck, you have to stop, stop, stop the aggro, and then at some point be like, okay, um, it's not it's not clear a lot of the time. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm going to play a big minion, but you're still getting beat down, but then you're like, oh, but I have a lot of reach. Maybe I can win, and I could win the race over two turns as opposed mm-hmm. to while I'm getting beat down, should I try to defend or should I focus on trying to to win? Um, it, it's, a, it's a very gray area a lot of the time. I think so, there's a lot of math in this deck. Yeah, right? for Where sure. I, I think in many decks, you're just like, you're thinking about, okay, like for, for example, if I'm playing uh, Agra Halalu right now, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, how can I put the biggest board down that I can't get hit by Ice Storm, which is something that I'm, I'm thinking a lot, a lot, because I've been playing uh, Foldier's um, Empire token deck, mm-hmm. and I've been playing some some Halalu recently, and that's what I'm thinking about. And I, I feel like in BM, it's like starting around turn six or seven, you need to start doing lethal math in your brain. Oh, yeah. You're like, For sure. how quickly can I race? Always. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just like, and I think that happens, you know, if I get Luzra on the board, with my mm-hmm. candle crush giant, like um, how how quickly can I turn this thing so that I don't like if if it's gonna take him statistically it looks like he's gonna take him maybe three turns to beat me and I'm yeah. not winning the board right now I'm losing on the board mm-hmm. but my reach tells me in my hand that I could beat him in two turns should I turn that right now and that's been a difficult that's hard um, yeah. Because when you get in the mindset of when you're being aggressed, being defensive, I think oftentimes that mid-range BM actually wants to turn before mm-hmm. they've stabilized. Yeah, that that's I totally agree with that. It's it's not clear like a lot of other decks are, where it's like, okay, I've stabilized, now I'm gonna play out my threats and win the game, right? It's it's a lot of the time, yeah, like you're saying, where it's you pivot maybe slightly before you've even stabilized, and suddenly mm-hmm. your opponent's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, mid-range, that's the, go ahead. That's the hard part for I feel like a lot of players to kind of grasp um, because it's not obvious. It's like okay, this is I should be doing this, but maybe it's you're feeling and you're focused on trying to stay alive, but the the correct play is to to go face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is a really challenging thing. I think you're in this game. You are so conditioned to a certain play style that says, "Nope, I stabilize, I secure the board, I don't run the risk of prophecies ruining my game," and then I go to face. In this deck, like this deck doesn't have like there are other decks where this can happen. Of course, it can happen with this deck. Yeah. But I feel like prophecies don't ruin your game plan with this deck quite as much as some some other decks do. Yeah. Um, even some other mid-range decks where a Prophecy Jav will completely screw you or mm-hmm. that Cloud Resolutionist will, you know, completely ruin your day. Um, yeah. I feel like there's there, there's a little bit more room in that, in that particular deck. Uh, I'm excited to go back and, and try it out. Yeah. Uh, why, why Assassin? Why mid-range Assassin? What cards are in green that are better than what's in red? Um... I mean, Mournhold Trader is a huge one. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Um, gosh, I could I should probably pull up the list and we can talk about it. But um, like Mournhold Trader to me was was the biggest one in that it's it's the best two drop in the game. Um, sure. It takes control of the board very early, whether you're playing an aggro role or kind of a defensive role. Um, you know, it's just so powerful. It's it's like uh, Siege Catapult, but. But better. Uh, but better maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, but, uh, just out of curiosity, before we dive into exactly what's in the deck, you had mentioned this mid-range BM being a more defensive, controlling mm-hmm. version of a mid-range deck. Is your uh, is your assassin deck the same, or is it a more aggressive version? I mean, Mortal Trader tells me it's a more aggressive yeah. version of mid-range. Yeah, so um, that's kind of... Yeah, it, it is more aggressive, but it's not exclusive to aggro. Um, the, you know, it's it's difficult to decide what a, a mid-range deck is because mid-range to me is such an obscure category. Like, yes, you know true. what an aggro deck is, you know what a control deck is. Mid-range has kind of these this gradient of where it can land mm-hmm. within being a mid-range deck, right? Um. I'd say it's probably more like it, it's the deck I I built. It's designed probably at least 60% of the time to be the aggro deck, but it's fully capable of being defensive, um, and it's got lots of defensive tools to keep itself alive against something that's maybe a little bit more aggressive than it. So, what are some of those defensive tools that aren't uh, that aren't outfit conjurer? Are you running? Breton Conjurer, are you running Ice Storm? What are what are some of those defensive tools? Because those are the those are the. I mean, I guess even Debilitate is uh, a popular one right now in Green. Really, the only massive control that they have. Um, yeah. What are what are some of those more defensive cards that you are playing in this deck? So the defensive cards I'm playing um, are are, are um, things like Shrieking Harpy, uh, Cunning Ally, which is mm. both kind of an aggressive card and defensive. You know, you get Firebolts out of it. Um, Daggerfall Mage is a slower card, high value. Um, it's not something you'd want to normally play in an aggro deck, but can can certainly get you the value you need in the long game. Um, I'm playing at least one copy of Leaf Lurker as well um, okay. to, to deal with high threats, both if I'm playing an aggressive role and if I'm just trying to stay alive, you know, to combine with things like Firebolt that I'm, that I'm running. Okay. Um, so those are probably a lot of the tools that I'm running to to help contest. I, I have other stuff that kind of dual function, like lightning bolt, right? Helps me stay mm-hmm. alive or finishes the game. Can be reach. Right. Um, imagine Arcana's found its way into your deck. Oh, of course. Yeah. And uh, the, this has been an interesting inclusion that I've seen, and I'm curious to know if it made its way into your deck. And that is the 3-1 goblin that summons to give you a curse and, and mm-hmm. uh, last gas to give you a curse. Did that find its way in, being that you do have uh, the uh, leaf lurkers? It did not. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the leaf lurkers are more there for the firebolts, and I'm also running a lot of smaller minions that can help um get that little chip damage into maybe a big minion I need to answer. Um you know I'm still running things like Crown Quartermaster, Luzra, um Ward Crafters, things like that that are just like kind of small minions that can get that initial damage in. Um but they have enough of like the tricks that you can that you can trade favorably with some of the more aggressive aggro decks that are going to be out there. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to be another deck I'm going to experiment with because I've been looking for a good two-keller deck and just haven't found one that I liked. So I'm still mm-hmm. playing all of the Master Series decks. I haven't liked mid-BM because I can't figure it out. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to be trying out this mid-Assassin. Okay, mm-hmm. I gotta, I'm got I'm just curious. Still still so curious. Um, Blackhand Messenger, is that a card that makes it in or not? Does not make it in. Does not um, make it in. So it's more aggressive than right. that. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's not... 
you know, because, yeah, you got to decide, am I more defensive, am I more aggressive? And this is kind of like a weird mid-ground, okay. um, you know, halfway point between kind of an aggressive mid-range and an aggressive or in a defensive mid-range. It's kind of mid-range. A true mid-range. <laughs> true, true mid-range. Thinking. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to really grasp, but yeah. That really brings us into our last point. I think that you are, you know, in my opinion, of the streamers that I've watched, one of the better deck builders that I've watched. And I mean, that that goes to show in the fact that when we're talking about the meta, we brought up Consume Sorcerer in mid-range Assassin, which are literally two decks that didn't even get brought to Masters. Yeah. And you're and you're putting them towards the top of the meta. So obviously you're experimenting. Deck building is something that you like doing and you're passionate about. So we had a listener who wrote in and and they sent me a deck list. We're not going to actually look at that deck list right now, but they basically said like, hey, I love creating um, new synergies and new ways to do things. Um, yeah. And I don't really know if this is a good deck or if it isn't. And the one that he's working on right now is kind of like a shackle control deck. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to give him a, a few words about that. But I think more importantly, the bigger question that he was asking is when I'm going in to create a new deck and I'm getting into deck building myself and making my own decks, because one of the beautiful part of Elder Scrolls Legends is it lends itself to that. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, when I played Hearthstone, it was only net decking. Oh, yeah. All that existed. This game still lends itself to quite a bit of creativity and deck building. I think the the design of the game allows it to happen, mm-hmm. um, but also the fact that it's not as solved. Yeah. So when you, as a deck builder and someone who enjoys that, go in and you're going to craft a new deck um, and put something new together, um, even if it's going to be something a little bit wacky because you said mm-hmm. you like doing that. Yeah. What are you, what are you thinking about? whenever you get into that mindset and you're heading into your, your collection? Yeah. Um, so usually kind of my starting point is either one of two different things. One, am I trying to accomplish something on ladder or, or, or a tournament, for example? Am I trying to counter a certain meta? Um, that'll have a lot of influence and completely separate from my normal deck building process. The other thing is that am I trying to create something new or something fun that is also competitive? Um, that's the one I'm involved in more often than not um so so i'll focus on that one but if i'm focused on like um so if i'm trying to create something new it's usually going to be some sort of synergy or or maybe a card in particular uh, a card that's really powerful that's that hasn't found a home yet for example so like something you need to exploit Right, like something uh, for me, what most recently when I was playing around with it is is called Grontide. You know, the new dragon, it's an 8-9 dragon guard, summons the Halls of Colossus, which summons a dragon under your deck. Um, that's found a little bit of a home in um, Guild Swarm, mm-hmm. but, but uh, I was playing with it in Empire, um, because I felt like Empire had a lot of tools for ramp and the ability to bounce it and maybe get two Halls of Colossus. Um, you know, I felt like it, it needed to be exploited further. It wasn't just one card I was going to play and get some value out of. It's going to be something I play and win the game because of it. Just out of curiosity, um, in Empire, what bounces it? Uh, Knight to Remember, particularly, and and Solterre to get it back from the graveyard and replay it. Okay, okay. See, when, yeah. I, when, I, when I heard bounce, I was picturing the new, uh, like, Two mana, um, return a creature to its opponent's hand, uh, to its player's hand, and it costs three less. So you're you're talking, it, you're yes, bouncing, but more so resummoning. 
Yeah, resummoning for the purpose of getting Halls of Colossus. Okay, um, so you're not even interested in the eight nine taunt or eight nine guard. You're you're really. I mean, it helps you survive. Yeah. But your focus is is pretty much on getting that Halls of Colossus and getting more than one of them. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of when my you know that that was my starting point. I was like, this can be abused because if you're ramping and then you play it and then you uh, resummon it at least one other time. You get two halls of Colossus, and then you summon two more dragons, and then um, and then the next turn you summon two more, and that it's just such an overwhelming um, onslaught of value and tempo uh, that your opponent just can't answer it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's like a good example. Like I started there, and then I was like, okay, what else can I do with this? And and um, you know, I started figuring out dragon synergies, and then I was like, what else does it um, does work with the strategy where I'm trying to resummon or bounce? And of course, Parthenax is obvious because I'm trying to do the exact same thing with Parth. Um, I do have all the in the deck as well, of course, because because why not? Yeah, because if you're already <laughs> going to be bouncing and you want to survive into the long game, yeah, and you're ramping, why wouldn't he be in your deck? Of course, yeah. So you're you know you're ramping, you're playing dragons. Um, it's kind of just like the ultimate dragon greed, right? Um, and it's gonna win. It's gonna win the late game all day um, against other control decks. Uh, it's gonna struggle a little bit against against aggro. So it's maybe not something I'm gonna play against aggro decks because it doesn't have the AOE it needs to stabilize against aggro. Um, it's not unwinnable, but it's it's certainly gonna be difficult. Um, but anyway, back, I'm getting off track. Back to deck building, right? No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of you kind of just start. You have a starting point. Um, from there, you just got to consider all the synergies available to you, right? Mm. Um, so if my starting point is called Grand Tide. I think okay, it it's a big dragon that summons other non-legendary or non-unique dragons. Um, so I need to play a lot of non-unique dragons. So you search for all the dragons, the non-unique dragons that are going to be uh, the strongest, most impactful, um, things that keep you alive. Uh, a lot of this is experience, too, where you wouldn't include something bad in the deck. Um, you know, I'm not running Shear Points, for example. Um, because Shear Point gonna... is the 4-4 four, four that gives something minus 2, minus 2, right? Yep. That's one. interesting to me. I would expect that to make it into the deck. I, I, you know, it's it's a good deck if you're also create are adding other stuff that like synergizes with it. Yeah. Um. And I didn't want to go that route. I didn't want to include curses and and then of, of course the curses leads to leaf lurkers and finish offs and that's not a really a direction I wanted to go in. Okay. Um. You know, because it because it's because yeah, you include the sure point and then it automatically requires you to include other stuff. And it's just like so much more cards that you don't. I'd rather have that space free, essentially. Um, so I focus more on stuff like Undying Dragon, um, the four four Dragon Guard, kind of fills the role of like a. Jeez, mm-hmm. um, I just can't think. Hive of Defender. Uh, Hive Defender, and also the uh, Sorcerer, not Sorcerer, um, Spell Sword, dual color. Oh, or, uh, Emperor's uh, yeah. Blade. Yeah, 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 that one. Emperor's that Blade. One. Um, so it kind of fills that role. Not mm-hmm. as good, obviously, but it's a dragon and makes other stuff come out later. Um, Does Skeletal Dragon make it in? No Skeletals. No. Uh, that's too greedy. too greedy. It hurts my heart. Oh, I remember the day <laughs> when Skeletal Dragon was playable. Oh, yeah. oh so, Ramp um, Scout, come back to me. 
Yeah, uh, I have Queen's Captain in place of Skeletal Dragons. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, like the the overall idea is, is I start somewhere, I start including things that I think would work well and synergize with other cards throughout the deck. Um, a lot of it is experience. You know, I've been building decks for you know years at this point. You know, from Yu-Gi-Oh mm-hmm. to Magic to Hearthstone to, to now Legends. You know, I've been I have a lot of experience with that. Um, but you just kind of have to use your best judgment. Um, the next step is after you build the deck, you have to test it a lot. And this is probably the, the hardest part where I think a lot of people fall um, or fail at because people don't, um, they might put a card in their deck and they think it's really good, but as they're playing with it, it ends up being dead in their hand a lot of the time, but they don't recognize its, its fault where it's mm. not a good answer or not a good play a lot of the time and people just think it's okay because it'll be good in the the pie in the sky amazing situation that's theoretical and like happens once every 10 games mm-hmm. um you have to be harsh while you're playing with it and 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 recognize when something's bad and then cut it immediately um throwing a deck together is easy it's the refining that's hard mm. um because you don't have enough time to really play the deck for a hundred games and be like, okay, now I'm ready to make some changes. I'm going to cut this, this, and this, add in this, this, and this, and let's play another hundred games. It just doesn't um, make sense. You sure. Get, yeah. You have we to get a feel for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. You got to, you got to get a feel for it on what's good and, and when to cut it and put something else in that's going to be better for whatever, whatever's beating you. Like if you're trying to, if you're losing against a bunch of aggro, add in more anti-aggro. If you're losing a bunch against control, add in some more greed. Um, kind of, I guess, the best advice I can give. And I think it's fair to say, too, right, that that is just going to, if you want to mess around with tri-keller experimentation, mm-hmm. it's just going to take longer. Um, yeah. Because you see the cards of your deck less frequently because you don't get to play more than the same amount of iterations of them, um, but you're playing with 75 cards. And I've noticed that sometimes I would play a tri-keller deck and I would play five or six games, and then suddenly I would, my opening hand would have a card in it. Like, I did not realize this card was in this deck. Yeah. When did I have this card in this deck? And it's like, oh, my gosh, this shouldn't be in here. Oh, my gosh, how have I not drawn this more? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you definitely need more time for experimentation if you are going to go tri-keller than if you're going to go dual-keller. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a pretty firm believer that although tri-keller's typically stronger right now, um, with the exception of mid-range BM and maybe mid-range assassin, um, that a well-refined dual-keller deck will beat the vast majority of unrefined tri-keller decks. Yeah. Um, and so if you can spend a little bit more time on that token spell sword and really refine that token spell sword, instead of trying to expand and go to token empire, you might be better off with the token spell sword for now and really having that nailed down and refined to what you what you really like now where yeah. do you go for do you go someplace for advice i know that uh, like team rank star has uh, has a discord channel there are some deck talk around do you go someplace for advice when it comes to refining uh i don't um this is kind of a process i've just developed myself throughout the the years also from reading articles on like team rank star or you know magic articles that came out way back in the day about deck building and mm-hmm. who's who's the beat down you know those classic articles you see um 
you know, there's a lot of principles that just kind of apply to a lot of card games, and deck building's one that is the same. Um, so, so not a whole lot in refining. It's just more like recognizing when something's bad and when you need to cut it and put something else in. Um, you know, I also want to say, I guess, uh, even the best deck builders probably build at least 10 bad decks before they build a really good one. Mm. So, you know, I don't want people to get discouraged. If you're trying to build decks, um, you know, you're, you're going to go through some bad ideas. <laughs> it's just how it is. Okay, uh, so let me let me ask you this, even because this is a clarifying question for me. Uh-huh. Sometimes I create a deck, and I don't know whether it needs refined or deleted. Um, <laughs> and and sometimes it's not easy to figure that out. How do you determine when a deck, this deck needs refined or this deck needs deleted without wasting a ton of your time refining a terrible deck that is just never, it's just a turd. It's never going to be yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. So I judge it by um, how bad the games I played felt, right? Okay. Um, if I If I played 10 games with a deck and every single game felt like I had no options, no good choices, always bad suboptimal plays um you know my synergies never came together and it's been 10 games so like it should have happened at least once those are the decks i just delete Mm. uh if it just feels like it never comes together or i never have a chance even when i'm playing perfectly or really well then yeah i'm just gonna get rid of it um if it feels like i'm doing very i'm doing okay or even maybe slightly good on average, then it's something that's like, okay, this is good enough, but maybe I need to just bring it to the next step. Try to get mm. rid of the bad stuff, add better things in. And, and those are the decks I refine, as opposed to yeah, the ones where it's just like, oh yeah, I won the last three out of ten games. Uh, maybe I should refine this. Nah. I, I, I get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Start it. Okay, that that's great yeah. advice. Do you have a general rule in your head that you just think like, so this game has a constant curve. So if you come from the background of Magic: The Gathering, you know, okay, I need to run X amount of lands if I'm playing a control deck. I got to run X amount of lands if I'm playing mono color goblins. I got to mm-hmm. run X amount of lands. I got to run 14 lands if I'm playing elves. Right? Like, I just right. know exactly what I need. Um, this game isn't like that because you do have a constant curve. You're going from one to 12 mana and more if you've ramped. So you know what you're going to be doing, but it does mean that when you get into deck building, there's a curve element to the game. And I yeah. found like this, this mid range day deck, for example, that I've been experimenting with and I need to refine one of my frustrations, frustrations is, is that too often I have a turn one or two, and then I don't have another play until turn five because I have too many five drops, not enough three and fours. Um, yeah. Do you have a general rule of thumb in your head that you're like, I need this many ones, this many twos, this many threes, so and so, so on and so forth? Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so at least a general rule to apply, um, and it, it also depends on what you're trying to accomplish with the deck. Um, this is something you should constantly ask yourself and what you're trying to do in the first place. Sure. If you're is, playing you tokens, know, is, you have more two drops than a tribunal control. Right. Is this an aggro deck? Am I trying to build a control deck? Am I trying to build a mid-range deck? Um, so yeah, if it's aggro, I kind of have a, um, you know, mentally I'm going to say I'm never going to go past six and maybe occasionally a couple sevens, uh, but never anything more expensive than that. It's not worth it, at least in the majority of cases. 
Arcana is the one fringe right. cave. <laughs> yeah, the Arcana one is like fringe. The one, exactly. Uh-huh. Or or maybe Taz. Tazcad might. Okay. Might yeah, Tazcad and Arcana. That's true. But yeah, other than those few examples, most of the time, the highest I'm going to go is like seven for for Wilds Incarnate or or uh, Bone Daddy. Is it called Bone Colossus? Is his real name? Yeah, but his it, that's his real name is Bone Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Um. Or or. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of decks, you know, or am I going hyper aggro, right? There's been a few really, like, almost mono-red decks I've built that go up to, like, four. Mm. Um, they're, they're like, hyper aggro, really trying to get under even other aggro decks um, and beat the, and win the game. Um, so you kind of have to ask yourself what you're trying to accomplish. On average, yeah, for aggro, definitely lower curve. Maybe six is the highest you go for the most part. Occasionally seven. And maybe one or two rare examples of, of beyond that. Um, if you're going mid range, you got to ask, "Am I more aggressive?" And if you're a more aggressive mid range, you got you're probably going to want to focus on stuff that's like you have a lot of twos, you have a lot of threes, you have a lot of fours, and a couple fives, and a couple sixes, and a few sevens and eights, nines, tens. Um, so kind of like curves down, right? If, I, if I'm defensive mid-range, maybe I want something that's a little bit more of a plateau, right? Mm. A, a certain amount of twos, a certain amount of threes, a certain amount of fives, eights, um, because my goal is to, you know, um, have a good solid curve throughout the course of the game. And then ultimately, because I have so many cards in the top end, in the fives through eights, I'm going to outvalue my opponent then because I'm using this first few turns to, to contest and stabilize and I'm playing bigger more powerful things in the mid game than my opponent is because they're mm-hmm. aggro um or maybe i'm just trying to curve out you know a two the best two mournhold trader into mammoth into bleak coast troll into you know the best thing on curve every turn and that's how i beat my control opponents um so those are kind of the strategies there i mean if you're control you probably want kind of the same same almost probably like a plateau um where everything's almost even. Um, a lot of it depends on the meta too, right? You know, if you're sure, facing what you're playing against, what you're trying to counter. But I guess that's the best I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, no, that's that's a tremendous amount of insight off the top of your head. I think I've learned more. <laughs> I've learned more in this episode than any. I mean, even if no one listens to this episode, it was valuable for me to do yeah. it because I'll be a better player and I'm going to be playing mid-range assassin tonight. Uh, <laughs> that And I'm off tomorrow. So let me tell you, mid-range assassin tomorrow, we'll be giving a little update on it. I, I'm supposed to write something for Team Rankstar in the next month or so. Maybe if mid-range assassin goes well for me, that'll be the thing that I'm, the deck that I'm writing about. I'm, I'm hoping to write about empire um here before too long so uh that might be the thing that i'm going to be writing about if it goes well um well i tell you what you know we've been going at this a while now it's been almost an hour and 20 minutes that's plenty of time for a podcast um most people won't even listen the whole way through the thing so um if you do you have any uh last thoughts and stuff before we get ready to sign off um no i mean uh i guess you know i guess in general if you're, we've talked a lot about about becoming a better player, right? If you become, if you're trying to become a better player, the best thing you could ever do is ask yourself what, why you're trying to do something, um, and and really nail it down. Like, why are you doing this, and and what can I do to make it better? Um, if you can, if you can 
absorb those two questions and apply it to everything you do in the entire game, whether it's deck building or playing a turn of Legends or, or you know, trying to build something for a, a tournament, like a tournament lineup. You have to ask yourself why and then how to do it better, and, and you'll be successful. Yeah, analyze, don't rage quit. Yeah, exactly. Don't take don't, things, yeah, to heart. Don't don't just delete the deck because they had Alfiq on uh, <laughs> on five with the ring and then Alfiq on six. Okay, don't 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 just delete it. Uh, your deck doesn't necessarily, well, it might be bad. Yeah. If you won three out of ten, LMA is saying your deck's bad, just delete it and start it. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I tell you what, people want to connect with you, so LMA, how can people get plugged in with you? Um, how can they look at the content, the decks that you're building, the things that you're experimenting with? How can we get on your Twitch stream and check out what you're doing? Yeah. So the the best place is gonna be to go to my stream, uh, Twitch.tv/LMAO. That's E E L E M A Y O. Um, from there, every other link is available to you, my YouTube, Twitter, Discord. Um, all the deck lists we post in Discord, typically. Uh, in my Discord, so you can, there's a whole deck list section where you can just see everything I'm building, other people are building, um, and get a feel for it, stuff I play on stream. Um, and yeah, you can check out my YouTube videos and uh, everything like that. Yeah. Now we've had some players that were, you know, relatively competitive before um, who've been on the episode, but you're definitely the most uh, in terms of like this past year and this last meta, the most competitive player that we've had on the podcast so far. And so if you're looking to get into competitive uh, Elder Scrolls Legends, I would really encourage you to check out LMA's stream, see what he's building, check out that Discord, and then go over and give him a give him a follow and give him a subscription there over at the Twitch.tv/LMAO. Um, I know the streamers don't do that; they don't say that themselves, but. Hey, you know what? I'm allowed to because I'm the podcast mm-hmm. host. I'm allowed to say go give him a follow and go go give him a subscription. So go use that Twitch Prime subscription over at LMAO Stream and tune in for uh, what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Is there any other way? Is that is that it? That's the best ways for people to get uh, connected with you and, and see what you're doing. Yep, yep. Just the okay. Twitch channel and Discord and Twitter from there. If you want to message me, ask me anything, feel free. I'm I'm open to everyone. Don't feel like you're not going to get a response. I respond to every single person ever that messages me. So uh, feel free to reach out if you need help. That is a tall order to keep if mm-hmm. your stream ever gets really big. Um, yeah. Not that it isn't big now, but if it ever gets really big, that's a that's a big promise. Um, yeah. Okay. If you're trying to get connected with uh, our podcast, um, you can't do it over social media because I'm off the grid and I don't like social media. And uh, so, but you can email me. So it's eslegendscast at gmail.com. That's eslegendscast at gmail.com. I'm on Reddit too. You can find me on there, but I don't check that very often, and I don't like it any more than I like social media. But the, you know, there's a subreddit for Elder Scrolls Legends, so I, dab, I dabble. Um, I dabble, but you can find me there. Um, as always with this podcast, um, you know, my vocation outside of this podcast is a pastor. Um, and so I'm here to support the community with with just prayer and a listening ear. So if you're in a dark time, um, if you're going through depression, if you're battling uh, a, a bad illness, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. And you want me to pray for you or you want me to listen to you, I would love to pray for you. I would love to listen to you and I would love to support you. Um, the internet can be a really dark, dangerous, scary, and isolating place. And although we have a lot of good friends, and this is a really phenomenal community, and people do make really great friends on the internet, it can also be a really dark place. Um, and so if you're in an, if you're in a dark place in life, just please know that you're not alone. 
um, I would love to listen to you and I'd love for you to reach out to me. So reach out to me over the email at eslegendscast at gmail.com. Um, and as a little bit of exciting news, um, we're going to be starting a Discord server here um, in the next week or so. A listener got really excited and I was so excited for him. I, I, he didn't even want to come on the show, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to even mention his name, but he started the Discord server for us. He's setting it all up right now. So hopefully by episode 10, we'll be introducing our Discord server, which is which is really exciting. Um, next week, Lasergician is going to be coming on the show, which I'm super pumped about um, mm-hmm. from Team Rank Star. Uh, as you know, this show is sponsored by Team Rank Star. So visit TeamRankStar.com and see all the latest Tesla stuff or go to Inked Gaming and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next uh, set of customized gaming gear and you can definitely uh, pick up some cool stuff there and it's not just for video gamers by the way i'm a tabletop gamer and they make some of the absolute coolest tabletop gaming stuff uh over at inked gaming so mm-hmm. you can definitely check that out um you'll hear this in the in the back end but i'll just i i'm not going to make this plea very often but we we do have a patreon page um we don't have any patrons and that's perfectly okay but um we are i'm, I'm buying some new equipment because i can't use the equipment that i was using anymore um for a handful of reasons but basically i picked up a new microphone and i'm going to be putting some money away for a new computer so that i can continue doing the podcast so if you want to throw any support my way um you can do that over at patreon.com but you certainly don't need to I'm just really glad to be part of the community and um, and to, to be supported as part of the community. Um, well, that's that was way too many ways. That was like too many ways to get connected. That was like <laughs> overload, overload of advertising. That's why I got to cut some of that stuff out. Yeah. I got to cut something somewhere along there. Yeah. Oh, Shoot. It's like nine minutes or something of just. <laughs> Wow. Oh, hey, this is a sufficiently awkward way to end things. Um, go check out LMAO. LMAO, once again, thank you so, so much for getting on the stream today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay, that's going to wrap. Yeah, thanks. I was going to wrap it up here for uh, episode number nine of Legends Cast. Be sure to check out TeamRankStar.com. Check out all the other Tesla news, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com.